God, thank you for your word. Our church values it so much, and we love it. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through it as our hearts and our minds are open to what we are to receive from your word here, Lord, that you would speak through it wherever we may be at. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we start out, let's go back to verse 1, just to give us kind of a framework of the scripture that we're going to be uh, looking at this evening. And it reads this, One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And then Jesus went on to address hypocrisy after that in the next section, which we talked about last week. And the Pharisees responded with silence, as written in verses 4 and 6. And then Jesus went on to talk about humility, when he noticed how those people started choosing places of honor, and then he addressed humility. And then lastly, hospitality. And this was all in last week's message. And Jesus addressed hospitality and extending generous hospitality to people who can't repay you. Now, imagine with me how upset those people were that were in attendance at that party were at this time. They're looking around, and there isn't a person there who is a friend, who isn't a family member, who isn't rich, except for probably Jesus and those following him. And so they're failing at all these elements, right? They're failing at this element of hypocrisy. Jesus calls them out on it. They're completely silent. They're failing at this humility thing. They were just fighting for the places of honor at the at these seats, these, the triclinium, the, the middle seat. They were fighting for those seats. And now Jesus is pointing out, you're also failing at hospitality. And so Jesus wasn't making that many friends this day. And so just imagine how awkward this whole meal is, all these, this whole chain of events. This ruler of the Pharisees invites Jesus over for a meal on the Sabbath. And they plant a guy there who has dropsy, to catch Jesus breaking one of their religious laws, breaking the law on the Sabbath. And so Jesus addressed them twice about hypocrisy, and they responded with this silence. Now just imagine this really awkward silence over a gathering of food. What I think is that they weren't expecting Jesus to remain for the meal. I don't think they thought that it would get that far. And this is just my opinion. But I think they were planning on catching Jesus, breaking the law. And after he broke the law, he would be escorted out to be judged later. And they would party. We got him! Yes! Uh, Dropsy man, you did awesome! No longer dropsy man, but you're awesome! And so I think that they were planning on just partying together. And they were planning on fighting for the seats after Jesus got escorted out and fight for those seats and not be called out on it and saying, "Mm, you guys have a humility problem. I didn't think they expected that. They also didn't expect that they were going to be dealing with this hospitality issue with, with Jesus either. I think they thought that he would be gone and we could have a meal together. But instead, Jesus asks these questions, and then they're caught, and they remain silent. They remain silent, and this, it's this very awkward silence, because they're like, what do we say? Can't say yes, and we can't say no. And we talked about that last week, why they couldn't say either. So very awkward, considering these guys were planning to celebrate after they caught Jesus breaking a law. And then someone broke the silence by just kind of like taking a seat. So like, hmm, it's quiet here. We're going to eat. I'll sit down. And so everyone's, oh, he's sitting down, I'm going to sit down. And everyone's fighting for their seat. And then he, he goes into this story. And so these guys weren't expecting Jesus to be there. And Jesus calls them out and saying, you guys are taking the places of honor. And then he addresses this whole humility issue. And then he addresses this hospitality issue. And so I think there was this other awkward moment, another one. Not just the silence part, but after Jesus calls them out about sitting in those places of honor, that the guy sitting in the place of honor is like, He's talking to me. And he's talking to the guy that was fighting against me too. And so again, he's just not making any friends here. It's funny how they wanted to catch Jesus doing something wrong while throughout this whole chain of events, they weren't being godlike at all. And and yet they were the people that were trying to catch Jesus breaking a law. But again, it must have been a really awkward moment. Probably really silent. Jesus is telling the story and they're like, oh, what do we say about that? And so I think this was another one of those really awkward silence when this guy spoke up in verse 15. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. 
Now, I think this guy reclining at that triclinium table there, um, eating the food and stuff, where Jesus was reclining, he was trying to break this awkward silence. Right? Everyone's sitting. Jesus tells this story about taking the places of honor, and everyone's just sitting there like, right, now what? This is a really weird meal. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Let's eat. Right? And it's kind of like somebody, it's just this really awkward moment, and you're trying to break the silence, and you're like, it's a beautiful day, isn't it? And you're just trying to throw some statement out there to, to break this thing. And, and you notice how safe this statement is. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And so I think this guy said this safe sort of statement because he didn't want Jesus to continue busting his religious chops, for one thing. But also because he wanted to make some peace so that everyone could eat. Right? It's just a really awkward moment here. Silence everywhere, and, and you know, oh, come on, let's just, get, let's just get eating. But what does Jesus do? Instead of just kind of letting this statement go, as maybe most of us would have done, and just have a meal together, Jesus used that statement for another story, and another opportunity for him to make friends. So he, he, he's, he's going to bust their religious chops once again. All right, so the first two questions that kept them silent, you know, those are just appetizers. Jesus starts getting more meaty here, and he wants to feed them the spiritual food, but, but they just refuse to eat it. Now you look back at Luke chapter 13, verses 26 and 27, and it says this, Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil." See, these guys weren't getting it. Just because you have Jesus over for a meal and you've heard His teaching doesn't mean that you have a relationship with Him. See, these guys were banking that you know they had ties. They had ties back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for their place in the kingdom of God. But that's not how this works. God wants us to know Him personally, not just become familiar with Him. Religious familiarity doesn't equate to relationship with God. So what their religious familiarity did for them was it it turned their understanding of the kingdom of God into this entitlement to the kingdom of God. And so our understanding of the kingdom of God doesn't entitle us to the kingdom of God. Just because you know about it, there is no entitlement. It's all Jesus. Jesus paid it all. And it's by God's grace that we are saved. This guy said, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Yes, that is true if you are indeed in the kingdom of God. It's not true if you're not, right? So this guy, as well as many in that dining room, thought that they were in the kingdom of God, but they really weren't. We ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets, but he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Now, Jesus still had compassion on these guys. It's not like He gave up on them and just said, forget it. If He did, He would have just eaten the meal. Right? He would have just said, alright, fine. Bless, yeah, kingdom, yeah, let's, let's eat. Give me the falafel. But He doesn't do that. He, he wanted them to hear the truth. So, so Jesus gave them another story, starting in verse 16. But He said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. A lot of people like stories, right? Jesus tells a lot of good, meaningful stories. He's really good at presenting things in a very simple way, and he pulls these everyday elements that everyone could understand and apply. And many of these stories made the Pharisees feel really uneasy because what Jesus did was he hit them between the eyes with his stories. The lessons were often directed towards them, and they probably thought that they knew it all. That Rabbi Jesus was going to teach those people who know less who are less learned than than we Pharisees. But oftentimes it was actually the Pharisees, those who were familiar with religion, those who have been around religion for a while, that needed to hear Jesus' teachings. And as they thought they were doing so well spiritually, Jesus often pointed out that they were actually pretty far from God. And so I think this is for us, because I think we are the church that knows Jesus, that is more familiar with Jesus, and to stop thinking like, oh, this is for them, this message is for them. I think this is for us, for those of us who are familiar with God. So Jesus went on to tell this story, and for a little background, 
on how people were invited to a great banquet, how, how do you think they were invited? Facebook. But um, it, it started out with this general invitation, right? This general invitation to just inform the, the community, inform their friends and their family and the people that they wanted to invite. They just, uh, this general invitation. They didn't have a specific date. But on the actual banquet day, when everything was ready, when all the preparation was done, another servant would go out and they would gather all those who received that initial general invitation. Verse 17, And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. So this is actually the second invitation. The first general invitation has already gone out uh, and given kind of this context, right? So this first invitation was a notice that the banquet was coming. You don't know the exact date because there are these huge preparations being made for it. And so you don't know the exact time because a lot of arrangements are being made. So there are things coming from all over the world and, and the world is being mobilized for this awesome party. And then when everything's ready, a second invitation goes out that when a servant comes to you, he comes to you directly on that day and he says to you, we're ready. Come over now. A normal way to do things back then. For some of us, this would drive us crazy. You receive an invitation, you're like, party's coming. When? Don't know. You're like, what do you mean you don't know? This is totally foreign to us. Back then, this is normal. Why? There's no Costco back then. Right? There's, there's no ordering things online. There's no call for it and then the next day delivery it shows up at your door and you have all your stuff ready to go. They don't have that back then. Depending on how elaborate a party was, things could take a really long time to prepare. So it's, it's not just the food, but you think about the decor or the gifts or whatever else they wanted to uh, have at the party. Imagine someone throwing the party of parties. The, the Super Bowl parties next week have nothing compared to this party. This is the party of parties, and, and they want to throw this awesome banquet. And so they're asking for things like perfumes and spices and jewels and glassware. Things that you just can't go to Costco and call for the next day to come over the order. So from China would come silk on the Silk Road. right? And, and not just what's on, already here on that trade route, but, but you want something customized. You want something from China. Something that you know is just for your event. And they don't have it here. And so what do you have to do? Because there is no modern technology. There isn't a cell phone. There is no internet. There's nothing like that. You have to send someone to get that work done. So you have to say, I want yellow, but I don't want that yellow. I want a brighter yellow. Or I want purple. And so I, give me something like that. And, and so the same thing with spices or textiles or precious stones that are coming from India or gold and silver or glassware, wine and carpets that are coming from other parts of the Roman Empire. It's a lot of work. You, you, you have to send all these servants out to try to collect all these things for this party of parties. Now for those of you who are planning a wedding or have planned a wedding, depending on how elaborate you want it, how many hours do you think it takes to plan a wedding? Why do I hear so many laughs? Because you know this is true. According to superweddings.com, the average wedding takes 250 hours to plan. That is over six weeks of full-time work. 40 hours a week. Over six weeks of 40 hours a week. Can you imagine that's crazy, but it's true. My wedding took six months to plan. You know, I don't know how many hours it was in there. You didn't log the hours, but it took six months. And get this. This is with our technology. This is with cell phones with us. This is with the internet. This is with credit cards. So you send that guy to China, or you send that guy to India. You send. It's not like the, hey, here take take the business account and go like that. They don't have like uh, Roman Express or something like that. You know, it's it's you you go and you have cash, and so you are banking that no one's going to rob you. This is a big investment. This is a, these is big chances here. This is not you're not FDIC insured or anything like that. Right? So, so you, you don't have any, you don't have the banking systems, you don't have any of that stuff. Now, it's really important to keep all these stories in context, okay? And so, 
This isn't some random story that Jesus is talking about. See, this isn't random. This story that Jesus is responding to from this guy at the table over there who said, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. This story is in response to this guy's statement. So we have to look at it in this context. This story is about an invitation. See, there have been many invitations that have gone out to attend the feast in the kingdom of God. And there have been many prophets who have been sending out invitations to come to the banquet in the kingdom of God. And and the prophets have been telling people to get ready, get ready for this. And so those first invitations have been sent out. And you read the book of Isaiah and Ezekiel and you read the prophets in the Old Testament. John the Baptist. Those prophets have, have gone out. But Jesus is saying, the servant is here and is saying, come for everything is now ready. That the kingdom is here. The kingdom is now. There's no more waiting. That dinner bell's ringing. The party's here. It's, it's now. Jesus ushered in the kingdom. And you're thinking, when did this happen? Back in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, which was the scroll of Isaiah, and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You see, the kingdom of God has already arrived. It it happened back there in Luke chapter 4. What are you going to do knowing that the kingdom of God is here? It's already here. It's present. You have decisions to make. Are you going to enter that banquet or are you going to remain outside? Are the following verses going to be you? Are are you going to follow these verses of excuses as to why people don't want to enter the banquet in the kingdom of God? Let's read some of these excuses. Verses 18 through 20. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Now when we read these excuses, you find that they're actually appropriate, courteous, legitimate, dutiful excuses, right? Aren't they? But yet, these are the types of excuses that people think justify them from getting out of things. You kind of give them the green light, and you kind of say, oh yeah, that makes sense. But it's still an excuse. Why can't they just say no, and leave it at that? Why this kind of justification? Because in the final analysis, they really don't want to go. That's the thing. Right in, in the final analysis of all of this, whatever excuse it may be, they really don't want to go. So their excuses may seem like good ones, because, you know, at face value, it seems like a good one. It's not like the excuse is, is something immoral or unethical or something like that, right? It's not like they're saying, you know what, I can't make it because i got this big drug deal happening down on International, so I, I'm not going to be able to make it. Or, you know, I've been scouting this house out, and, and I know when the people who live there, I know when they leave, so I need to rob that house. You know, it's coming right at the time and you call me at the party. I need to do that first. It's, it's not even immoral or unethical. This, these are kind of, they appear to be good. But the final answer is still, no, I, I don't want to go to your banquet. Regardless of excuse, that's the answer. That they'd rather do other things. That they've prioritized other things in front of this invitation. And they are that. They are excuses. Verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Think about this. You bought a field? That's not like buying Pez candy. You bought a field. I mean, that's a significant investment. You do not buy those types of things sight unseen, do you? You have already seen it if you've purchased it. So you're just going to go see it again? That's your excuse? If you've purchased it, you have already seen it. 
You just don't want to go to the banquet. Verse 19, and another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. You've bought five tractor trailers and you didn't go test drive them? You didn't turn the key to make sure it worked? You bought five bulldozers and you didn't make sure that that, I don't know what you call that thing. I never got into it. My kids watch Bob the Builder though. Um, That thing, you know, that shovel thing. You didn't make sure that that thing worked? You didn't make sure that worked. So you bought five oxen and you have to examine them? You mean to tell me you paid all that money and you don't know if the ox can walk? You know he can walk. You know that that a work animal works. Otherwise you wouldn't buy it. It is not sick. That thing works. And you want to examine it? You just don't want to go to the banquet. It's just an excuse. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. And you're like, why not? She won't let me. All right. That's, that's... If you're married, bring her along. It's a party. Party of parties. Silk from China. Spices from India. Come on. When else are you going to get that? Bring on the... No one says she's not invited. Right? And, and you're not going into the army because there was a provision for that, right? In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 5, there was this provision for a newly married man that he didn't have to go into military service or a public service. It says, when a man is newly married, he shall not go out with the army or be liable for any other public duty. He shall be free at home one year to be happy with his wife whom he has taken. So it's not that. It's come to the party. And if you're married, why wasn't I invited? Right? Because it took you 250 hours to plan. And so the least you could have done is invite me. The excuse is just, you just don't want to go. You just don't want to go to the banquet. What is your seemingly good excuse for not entering the kingdom of God? We, we, we all have our seemingly good excuses as to why we haven't entered the kingdom of God, whether that is work or career or family, education, whatever it is, whatever is holding you back. You have this excuse. Whatever excuse we use, we are essentially prioritizing that thing before the kingdom of God. And no matter how you slice it, it's an excuse. It's a priority thing where you just don't want to put that before your other decisions. That God is less important than that thing that you have. Verse 21, So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Doesn't that sound familiar? You look back to verse 13. Jesus spoke about this. He said, But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And he says, Go out quickly. Why is that? The window of time is closing. It's not open forever. For you to enter the kingdom of heaven is not forever. Your life is finite. You only live so long. And just like this party, analogous to that, things are perishing there, right? The food that they prepared is perishing. They cannot pay servants forever to wait for you to enter the party. There are some things that make the door close, the window of time close. Just like in our spiritual lives, in our lives here, there are things that make our time close. Namely, we all die. All of us. Right? There's only a finite amount of time, a window of time, either before you die or Jesus returns. And so there's this finite time, and this is the way that God operates. That those who are self-righteous, self-centered, self-satisfied, that are prideful about their religiosity, they don't have a place at the table. Those who fight for those places of honor don't have a place at the table. Those who seem unlikely to have a seat at the table, they actually do. That the servant is to go out to those people and invite them. Because there are some other people that are just not wanting to attend. Okay, you don't want to attend? The party's still happening. Invite other people. Go to the people that are going to listen and that are going to take this invitation. See, God won't force anyone to have a seat with Him at His banqueting table. He's not going to force anybody. 
See, the invitation is out. Will you accept? Or do you have an excuse? See, he's the host of the party. And this is something for us to get clear here. Between hosts and guests. The host has the party. The guests don't determine whether they go or not, right? For those of you who had a wedding, you as the host invited people. If someone just kind of showed up, I'm here, they're not on your guest list, you escort them out. You call security, you call the police or whatever, because that whatever, a hundred bucks a plate or whatever, you're not spending it on that person that just showed up for whatever reason. Chinese are funny this way. They always have an empty table on the side corner that for people that show up. Oh yeah, I sit over there. Anyway. <laughs> but you're invited by the host. You're invited by the host. The host determines this, right? But, but if you don't accept the host's invitation, don't get upset that you can't go to the party. It's the host's house. He puts on the party. I don't understand when people set the stage for the kingdom of God. When people say things like, I believe that as long as you're a good person, you're going to heaven. That, you know, essentially we all believe the same thing. If you believe in this and that and this and that, and, you know, you believe in Jesus, that's cool. We all kind of end up in the same place. Jesus is the host. He sends out his invitations. And the Bible dictates for us, for me as preaching this word of God here, I'm not the one saying this. The Bible is, and I'm just regurgitating what the Bible is, saying when did you become God? To say that I believe that everyone who's good goes to heaven. Where are you getting that? There is no religious book out there unless it's like a new age type of thing. But if it's more of the traditional religions, they don't say that. They're pretty exclusive. So who made you God? That is a belief that is in contradiction to the Bible. See, Jesus paid the price for you to enter the banqueting table in the kingdom of God through His death on the cross, through His resurrection from the grave. He took care of it all at His expense. He's the host who sends out His servant to invite others to enter the banqueting table. It's His party. He sends His servants to His party. You can't just send out someone else's servants to invite to someone else's party. There's a wedding over there and like, oh yeah, I invite you to the wedding. Go to that one. Or they send people and they send them to our wedding. It doesn't work like that. This is God's party. So it's whether you accept that invitation or you have excuses. And you are at full liberty to make as many excuses as you want. But don't get upset at the host for calling dinner time. It's supper time. It's ready. And you don't want to go for whatever reason you have. Whatever excuse that you have. It's His party. And it's His clock. We don't know when we are going to die. It's His clock. And so the guests don't determine the time. We just decide whether we are going to go when we receive the invitation or make an excuse. And it's not that you haven't been given an invitation. You have an invitation. You have the invitation. You're just not showing up to the banquet. You don't enter in if you don't go in. Just having the invitation doesn't mean anything. You got to go. You got to go to the party. You got to respond to that other servant directly asking you and telling you, come over, it's ready. Now, many of the Jews back then were, were like a lot of people in our day. Right? They were given this invitation, but they didn't act upon it. Right, All those prophets of old, Isaiah and Ezekiel and, and all those prophets out there. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 21, verse 43. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing fruits. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul said this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the Jews were given this invitation, all the prophets, and they were given this invitation. Jesus told them it's time. Luke chapter 4. And it's not to say that we as Gentiles wouldn't have received that invitation if the Jews had wholeheartedly accepted. It's to say that the gospel went to the Jew first. It went to the Jews first and then others. 
It's to say that there is privilege and responsibility to all of those who have received an invitation to the banquet. That includes us now. We've received that same invitation, so enter. And if you don't, you've made an excuse. You have some excuse. You have been given the dignity to reject His invitation, but realize that's an excuse. Now, why do people get upset at those who accept God's invitation and start telling other people to go to the party? And I think it's legitimate because some of us as Christians have just had a bad testimony of how we've done things. We've been obnoxious. We've been offensive. We've lacked tact and all this kind of stuff. I understand that. But what about those who are just simply telling other people about invitations and those types of things who are, who, to go to the only party in town? I remember my wife sharing the gospel with a family member of hers. And so she was sharing this thing, and she's not obnoxious at all. I mean, if you know her, she's the sweetest person in the world. She's the sweet to my sour. But this person in her family got so upset at her and and just said, never talk to me about that again. Why that friction? Why? I'm just inviting you to a party. You're going to get that mad and say, don't ever invite, don't ever bring that up again. And so the Pharisees got upset at Jesus for hanging out with sinners and inviting himself to eat with sinners. But that's who he came for. Right In Luke chapter 5, verse 32, it says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Why do we as a church insulate ourselves and just serve our own? Why does the church and the religious folk out there create their own stuff, whether it be in music or entertainment or clothing or whatever else, and they insulate all this stuff for their own? Because did you know that as servants who are commissioned by the host, we are told by the host, it's supper time and go do your job. Go do it. Go tell people about it. And it's not that we have it all together as servants, right? We all know that we're messed up. Some of us are going to be limping out there telling people. Some of us are going to mumble our words. Some of us are just going to look all jacked up, whatever. But it's not every guy who says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God who gets into the kingdom of God. The guys that look like they got it all together. The guys that look like they have the right things to say. The guys that are invited to the worldly parties. You don't have to be the most religious person to inherit the kingdom of God. You need Jesus. Jesus who has provided you that invitation and you have it. So go out there and invite others. Do you accept this by faith? And if you do, enter. It's yours. And it doesn't matter how poor, crippled, lame, and blind you are. This banquet is for you. This invitation is for you. Now, how different is this from our world? This is so different from our world. If we were to ask people, who do you think you'd find at this banquet who was for, you know, royalty? Princes and princesses. Who would be there, do you think? The rich, the powerful, the influential, the, the beautiful, um, you know, good people, you know, good people of the world. They would be at those parties. But then what about the gangbanger or the high school dropout or the druggie or the drunkard or whatever, you you name it, that so-called failure, that so-called bad person? Probably wouldn't be at that worldly party of prince and princesses, would they? That's not the kingdom of God. You see how gracious God is? See what a gracious host He is? That invitation goes out to everyone. Even those who none of us would consider inviting. Verses 22-24 And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. I think this is talking directly about the Jews. That first invitation is going out to the Jews, and, and, and there's room. There's room in the kingdom of God. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Go out to the Gentiles. Go out to anyone who's going to listen. Anyone who's going to take this invitation. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Do you accept the invitation because you are invited? You are invited. Do you accept Jesus' invitation to enter the kingdom of God? Or do you have some excuse? This is an invitation. Who It doesn't matter who you are. 
that Jesus wants a relationship with you in his kingdom. This is also a warning for those of us who are servants. We have an invitation and we have entered. We are in. But this is a warning to us. Because we are to be busy compelling people out there in the highway and the hedges to come in. Right? And so this is a warning for us who are religious and know Jesus in our head, but maybe it's not representative in our life. Because when is the last time you extended an invitation to someone to enter the kingdom of God? And I think people generally, Christians, are really bad at this. We just don't do this enough. Think about this. The average church in America is about 30 to 40 people. That's the average size of a church. There are over 300 churches in Oakland. So, Oakland has over 400,000 people. Undocumented, I think it's more than that. Undocumented, it's 500, 600,000. Average attendance, 40. Let's just say there's 400 churches. 16,000 people in churches this Sunday. Half a million people out there? 16,000 people in church? What are we doing? What are we doing? You have an invitation. It's only 16,000 of us in here. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Just because you say you are a Christian doesn't mean that you truly are. Your life tells a more accurate story of who you really are. And I'm not saying that we're to be perfect. I'm not saying that at all. I know that we're all messed up. We all have our own problems. But what excuses are you using not to hand someone an invitation? You are a servant that has been told by your master to go out and compel people on the highways and the hedges to come into the kingdom, to come into the banqueting table. And yet we're not doing that. For the most part. Religiosity can also be used as an excuse. Being insulated and just keeping things for ourselves, that that can also be an excuse. It kept some of the Pharisees out of the kingdom of God. God doesn't want us to have excuses as to why we didn't accept His salvation, nor to have excuses of why we didn't compel people and listen to Him as Master to compel people to come in from the highways and hedges. Now, what exactly is this invitation? What are we saying yes to? What is this banquet? And I alluded to this in last week's study when I brought up dying to yourself. And I'm going to bring up a bit more in next week's study. But suffice it to say this evening, it's to come before Jesus and you see how he modeled for us dying to himself and we follow that. That's the invitation. The invitation is for us to die to ourselves and model our lives to follow Jesus Christ. That's essentially the invitation. And you're like, well, great invitation. I don't want to die to myself. Sin's fun. It is, right? I mean, just get real. It can be fun temporarily. It's a good thing, feeling-wise. But not for eternity. Not for everlasting. And so Jesus is offering us this invitation. And some of you are wondering if you are too poor or too crippled or too lame or too blind to enter. And I'm here to tell you the Bible is saying that you're not. Jesus came for you. That if you have ever felt less than, this is here to lift you up. This is here to tell you that He came for you and you need Him. You wouldn't need Jesus if you were perfect. Haven't you guys found that the gospel is much easier to share in those areas where there's a very evident need of him compared to those areas where there isn't that evident need? 
Right? So when you go on a mission or you go to some other place or you go to like a low performing school, like you find these things and you naturally see that that's there. I find that true for the gospel in that it's much easier to share in Oakland compared to other places in the Bay Area. There, there's so much stuff here. Last Friday, there were two people murdered up uh, Cleveland Heights, found in their car. And then 10 minutes after that one, there was one reported in East Oakland. There's like so much stuff happening here. Right? The poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, it's just so evident here. And, and so often, people hide behind their money and their education, their career, their health, their family, and all religion and all this stuff. And yet, the invitation is open to all. And we're at this place. The harvest is plentiful here. It is ripe for the picking here. And it's so hard if you just kind of go through the tunnel or into the North Bay or into the peninsula where things are a little different. Those who are better off seem to easily fool others in believing that everything's okay. And some may even think that they've accepted the invitation to the kingdom of God, but they really haven't. And those who don't think that they'd even get a chance to receive one, not only did they receive it, but they're fully accepted into the kingdom of God by God's grace. Now, this is really irritating to people who are self-reliant and self-righteous and self-dependent because they can't themselves get the upper hand. Because people like that when they're capable of performing. They like to earn something. They like to get their way at something But you cannot manipulate your way into heaven. Because God looks at your heart. You can't fool your way into heaven. How's your heart? Is it open to accepting Jesus' invitation? And if you have already accepted that invitation, it doesn't end there. You are now a servant of Jesus and you are commissioned to spread the news about the banquet. Acts chapter 16, verse 31, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. This is so true. In our martial arts ministry, in the past two years, there have been entire families that have been saved from starting from the kid. And this is their yellow belt memory verse. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 is their yellow belt memory verse. And they memorize this. And there have been kids that have accepted Jesus, and now their whole family has accepted Jesus. A 10-year-old, an 8-year-old did this. Does your household know Jesus? Have you shared it with them? See, this is what Andrew did when he first heard about Jesus in John chapter 1. The first thing he did was he found his brother Simon and he told him in John chapter 1, verse 41, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. See, the people you love, the people closest and dearest to you, do they even know that you found Jesus? Or have you just kind of kept it to yourself? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Have we gotten too complacent? Too comfortable here at Regeneration? You've got your home group or you've got your small group and and you're part of that and you've got your ministries that you serve in. But how much of that is just in here? Yet the Master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. A lot of churches are built with church transfers. And it's a really, really sad thing to me. When churches come into the Bay Area, and I've been a part of a lot of them in church planting and stuff like that, I I meet with a ton of church planters in the Bay Area. And they get all this excitement, and they go, oh, we're growing, and all this stuff. And you look at them, and you're like, how many of these people were Christians before they came in? The majority. It's just church transference. It's Most of the time, it's a cannibalization of what the kingdom of God is already doing at other churches, and you're pulling from those resources into your own church. That's bogus. You are robbing those other churches of those resources, of their financial resources, of the people that are serving in their bodies and in their communities, and you're just robbing them of that and putting them in your church so that your church can do something? 
This is about evangelism. We have an invitation in our hand. Let's go tell people who don't know about Jesus to come into the kingdom of God. It's not like, oh, go, you have an invitation? I have one too. Let's go to the party together. He's not saying that. He's, he's saying go to the highways and the hedges of people that don't have an invitation and invite them in. Not find somebody else that has an invitation. Oh, you have one too. That's so great. Come over to our party. That's so lame. That is the lamest thing. If you're shopping for a church or looking for a church to call your church home, if you're not getting fed at your church, if you were hurt by your church and you need a place to heal, there is a whole slew of reasons. If you just moved here and you're looking for a church, if you're a new student and you moved from your church wherever you moved from and you're looking for a church, there are a ton of excuses. I shouldn't say excuses because that's been dubbed a bad word earlier. Tons of reasonings as to why you are here. You're welcome. You are. I I don't want to push you away and make you think like, oh, I'm visiting from another church and I guess he doesn't want us here. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is I'd love to meet with you and talk with you and pray through those reasons to make sure that you're here for the right reasons and that you didn't leave in spite that you didn't leave in hatefulness or resentment or anything like that, something negative, that you need to reconcile something, maybe with your other church first. If you're not getting fed or something like that, maybe your other pastor needs to know that so that he or she can change some things about that. And, and it's to do things in a more upright way. Not to just say that, oh yeah, it wasn't fitting my needs, so I'm going to bounce. Don't be lame like that. You know who needs to be compelled to come in? It's not somebody else that already has an invitation. It's those who believe that they'd never receive one. The murderer. The murderer who just killed those two people up in Cleveland Heights. The murderer who killed that teenager in East Oakland. Who would never think that they'd receive an invitation, yet we have it for them. Because actually it is for them. The pimp and the prostitutes that are on International Boulevard. That invitation is for them. Might freak you out if they came in here, but it's for them, really. Jesus hung out with sinners. right? He didn't go to the righteous people. He hung out with sinners. The addict. Someone addicted to pornography, someone addicted to drugs or substance or whatever it may be, to sex or whatever. That invitation is for them. Even the ones who are extreme, that you're like, they're, they're, they're sick. You know, they, they're, they're into children. The invitation is even for them. That's how gracious God is. Those are the people in the highways and the hedges. Are we playing it too safe in here? To where we we just kind of meeting other people with invitations. Oh, great, nice to meet you. Come check our party out. And I'll come check your party out. And we're just finding other people with invitations. When we are told to go to the highway and hedges to go grab people into the kingdom, of, to compel them. The thought behind this is that those who look like everything is fine will be the ones who receive the invitations. But Jesus is telling us to compel those least likely to be invited to enter the kingdom of God. It's often in our brokenness that we receive Jesus, isn't it? And it's in our pride that we are outside the banquet. It's in our pride that we just keep the invitation and we just kind of you know, swap invitations with somebody who has an invitation. Just out of curiosity, how many of you came to Jesus, kind of rededicated Jesus, in your brokenness, at your lowest point in your life, how many, how many of you did that? And how many of you came when you were like at the high of life? Nothing could have been better. You were jamming, you were going on all cylinders, and that's when you came to Jesus. Just be honest about that. We're not going to. The majority of you came at a low point. And it's not to say that you can't come to Jesus when you're at a high point. It's not to say that because some of the Pharisees. We're saved. There's no doubt in my mind that Joseph of Arimathea was saved. But the majority of the people come in their brokenness. And you look throughout the Bible, it's the same there. A majority of them come in their brokenness. 
A majority of them come when they're out in the highways and the hedges and they need to be compelled to come in. The invitations have already gone out. So many people have already heard of Jesus out there. They just need the personal invite now. If you go talk to somebody on the streets, the likelihood in this post-Christian area in our country is that they've probably heard the story about Jesus and they probably know. But they just need that personal one. They need you as a servant to say like, yeah, it's time. I know you heard that part, but now it's time. To accept Christ's invitation to the kingdom of God and to find out what's your excuse. What is your excuse? And whatever it is, it's an excuse that can be overcome. Whatever excuse you have, whatever excuses people have out there, those things can be overcome and it's for us to compel them. Hear their excuses out and compel them regardless. It doesn't matter that you did that. Yes, there's judicial ways to handle that, legal ways to handle whatever you did, but in the kingdom of God, you still are accepted in that. How many people get accepted in the kingdom of God in jail? It's a huge prison ministry out there that bring people to Jesus in jail. And how many warnings of the imminent return of Jesus do we really need? Our windows are closing. And if you are a follower of Jesus, it is not a time to relax. It is not a time to share that you got the golden ticket with somebody else. It's time to get busy. It's time to work, to get the invitation out to the highways and byways and hedges and to compel people to come into the kingdom of God who, who don't realize that they are indeed invited. That you have to show up, that you compel them to come in. I shared with you there are over 400,000 people in Oakland. In the East Bay, there are over 2.6 million. And there are fewer churches in other areas than there are actually in Oakland. Oakland has over 300 churches. You think about that. There are some cities out there that have very few churches. There's a ton of work to be done. A ton. 16,000 people in churches on a given Sunday in Oakland. And there are over a half a million people out there. There is a lot of work to be done. Let's go out to the highways, the hedges, and compel people to come into the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Jesus, how desperately we need You. Lord, forgive us as a church for not being more diligent as a servant of Yours. We call You Master and we call You Lord, yet how can we be so lazy? God, fill us with Your Holy Spirit. Fill us with the ability to share the invitation. Give us boldness in our heart. Give us strength to do Your work. God, Your harvest is plentiful and the workers are truly few. God, give us a heart for evangelism at our church. Give us a heart of discipleship. Help us to reach those who are lame, blind, crippled, poor, in Jesus' name, amen.